Welcome to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as a professor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I'm going to be addressing an issue today that I think is very, very important, especially in light of a lot of things that are going on in our evangelical churches across America and really across the world. And the issue is pastoral leadership. I've been in pastoral ministry over 20 years and I've seen a lot of things come and go. And unfortunately, a lot of the models and methods and examples that we have today come more from a business model, more from a CEO, managerial model, marketing, pragmatism. And so pastors are tempted to adopt the latest and greatest fads, man-centered techniques, uh, pragmatic principles to try to grow their church as opposed to just spending time in the scriptures to see what the Bible itself says about pastoral ministry. And so what I want to do on this podcast is really just be an encouragement, especially to pastors and those in pastoral ministry. Now, you may be listening to this podcast, and I don't want you to tune out because I think it's important for you, if you're not a pastor, to understand what the Bible says about pastoral ministry so that you can encourage and support your pastor and pastors and elders at your church. Maybe you're listening to this and you're a seminary student or you're a young pastor or you're thinking about going into the ministry, sensing God's call upon your life. Um, I just want this to be an encouragement for you to, to look at the scriptures, the sufficiency of the scriptures to dictate for us what a pastor is to be and to do. There's so many different models and so many different temptations that are out there that many times pastors are looking for a silver bullet or a quick fix that they don't spend the time to go through the scriptures. So what we're going to do today, this may be a little bit longer podcast, but we're just going to dive into the scriptures. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay forth a case that the two most important functions, responsibilities of a pastor are these. Number one, to lead well, and I'm going to explain what that means. And number two, to do that leading through an expository preaching and teaching ministry. So two major responsibilities for a pastor. Number one, he must lead well. Number two, it must be a word-based expository preaching and teaching ministry. Those are the two functions of a pastor. But any treatment of pastoral leadership must begin with the role of Jesus as the chief shepherd of the church. Um, In 1 Peter 2.25, It talks about Jesus being the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. It's interesting that the two terms used there for Jesus, shepherd and overseer, are really the same terms that Paul and Peter give towards a pastor. And so any model for pastoral leadership must be Christ himself is the one who builds and rules and shepherds the church. And so we need to understand first and foremost, pastors, that we are sheep. We are under shepherds. We submit to the chief shepherd. Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. We're not the senior pastor. We're the under shepherd. Jesus is the senior pastor. And so any model of leadership must reflect his sovereign lordship as the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. 
And so what I want us to do is look at some key passages of Scripture that talk about the roles and responsibilities and functions of a pastor. And we want to start with Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, which really gives us the office of the pastor hyphen teacher or the pastor slash teacher. I am going to make a grammatical and syntactical argument that the pastor teacher is one office. Let me just read the scripture to you. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, the pastors and teachers. Big question. Are those two different groups of people? Are some people pastors and some people teachers? Or is it a pastor teacher? And scholars have debated this grammatical issue uh, for, for years, arguing whether Paul had two distinct offices in mind, pastors as separate from teachers, or if this was one combined office, the pastor teacher. Throughout church history, Chrysostom, Jerome, Thomas Aquinas, Charles Hodge, and Karl Barth are among the many popular voices that came to the exegetical conclusion that these two words describe one office. Now, on the other hand, John Calvin stands as the most notable scholar who dissented and viewed them as two separate offices. Others have argued for a non-dogmatic middle ground. Um, I would say syntactically and grammatically, Paul uses one article. One article followed by two plural nouns separated by the word and. The article, pastors and teachers. Now, grammatically, what does that mean? Well, Dan Wallace, in his Greek grammar, argues on syntactical grounds that this really means that it is one office, the pastor-teacher. A New Testament scholar, F.F. Bruce, basically came to the same conclusion. He says, teaching is an essential part of pastoral ministry. It is appropriate, therefore, that these two terms, pastors and teachers, should be joined together to denote one order of ministry. So I believe, based upon the syntactical and grammatical structure, along with Paul's other references in the pastoral epistles, that he's talking about one office, the pastor hyphen or the pastor slash teacher, the pastor teacher, a single office. And so that's the, the, the office of the pastor teacher, the overseer, the shepherd. But what is he to do according to this passage of scripture? Well, Paul says God has given the pastor teacher to equip the church to do works of service so that the entire body of Christ would grow into maturity. The, the word Paul uses here for equip really means to make something adequate or something sufficient. Um, in the context of this Ephesians passage, Christ has gifted the church with the pastor teacher to lead, equip, train, teach, preach, all for the purpose of helping believers grow in godliness and maturity. Now, that's the office, the pastor-teacher, combining those two things together, leading, pastoring, teaching, word-based ministry. So what my argument is, is that all throughout the epistles, the, the, a pastor's two primary functions are to lead 
or shepherd, if you like that word, shepherd, lead, and preach and teach. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we have the qualifications for pastor. And so he's going to set forth what the, quali- the character qualifications. And so it reads this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now, Paul here uses the term episcope, the office of overseer. Other times he uses the term elder, presbyteros. So you've got two terms that Paul uses, an elder, presbyteros, where we get our word Presbyterian, and he uses the word overseer. And I'm going to argue that they're interchangeable. I would even argue that what Paul says in Ephesians 4.11 of the pastor slash teacher is synonymous with the overseer, with the elder. Now, there's a slight distinction between an elder and an overseer as far as, as function. I believe it's the same office. Paul really borrows from the culture of that time. Uh, there's a slight distinction. Uh, the word elder, Paul really, I think, borrowed from the Jewish tradition of the synagogue. Um, in every synagogue in ancient Palestine and in that area, there were elders, older, wiser men. And these rabbis, these elders, would lead the worship service in the synagogue. They would read the scriptures and then they would follow the reading of the scriptures with an expository sermon where they would preach. They were elders who preached and, and taught in the synagogue. The word overseer, episkopos, this really originated from the Greek civil culture. Um, it was used of, of city officials, local mayors, uh, civic leaders. And so Paul combines both of these meanings together one who's wise, one who's older, more mature, and then one who's a leader to describe the one office of the pastor. So an elder, a pastor, an overseer, a shepherd, the pastor teacher. I'm arguing, and I think biblically I can make a strong case for it, it's the same office. It's one office. Now, in this list that he gives here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives a lot of character traits, character qualifications, but he does give one task, one duty, the ability to teach. A pastor, an elder, an overseer must have the ability to teach. They have to be apt in teaching God's word. A pastor teacher who shepherds through teaching and preaching. John Stott says this, Pastors are essentially teachers. Indeed, what distinguishes Christian pastoral ministry is the preeminence in it of the word of God. So, I believe strongly that the New Testament gives two primary responsibilities of the pastor-teacher. Whether you want to call it a pastor, an elder, an overseer, a shepherd, the pastor-teacher, again, it's all the same office. But here are the two primary functions, and I mentioned this earlier, but let me just repeat them. We're going to keep looking at these. Number one, providing godly and effective leadership by shepherding the flock. And number two, 
ministering the word through expositional preaching and teaching. Now, I may get some pushback on this because you may say there's other important things that a pastor must do in the life of the church. And yes, there are some things that a pastor must do, but his principal calling, his principal calling is leading the flock by feeding the flock. Now, when you go to Acts chapter 6, we have an apostolic model of this. Now, this is not talking specifically about pastors or elders per se. It's really talking about the early apostles and the early church. But I think by extension, we can understand a model and a principle from this. So they had to deal with a benevolence issue in the early church. The Hellenistic widows were complaining that they were getting neglected in the daily distribution of the food. And so the, the, the apostles had to come up with a wise leadership strategy in order to meet this need. So let's read Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What was the apostles' primary calling, their primary duty? They said, listen, this is an important need. We don't want to neglect the need. But our primary job description is to preach the Word, teach the Word, lead the early church through prayer and ministry of the Word. So we're going to appoint, we're going to equip deacons, these seven men, to actually fulfill the benevolence need because we are going to devote ourselves. That word devote means to strongly, urgently, passionately devote themselves to preaching. And again, this is a model. Uh, this is not a prescription per se, of where Paul or somebody is prescribing that we as pastors do this. It's a model, but I think it's a good apostolic model for us to, to, um, to adopt because it shows this whole idea of leading through preaching. And so pastors lead their churches when they make expository preaching a priority and they empower the congregation, especially the deacons, to do the work of ministry. And it's interesting, when the, the apostles did this, the church grew. Um, Acts chapter 6, verse 7 tells us that the, the church grew. The word of God spread. New disciples were being made. Great numbers of people were coming to faith in the church. And here's oftentimes what pastors are tempted to do. And oftentimes what churches expect pastors to do. Many times pastors believe they have to do all the work by taking on unnecessary burdens and i think a lot of churches put unnecessary burdens on pastors the pastor's expected to do everything I've, I've even heard of some churches where the pastor does a lot of the custodial work and that's a that's a teaching and a discipleship issue in your church culture where really you as a pastor and you as a congregation need to understand the principal calling of your pastor is to pray and lead and preach and teach if they have to shoulder the brunt of all the ministry, they will eventually burn out. The greatest gift you can give to your pastor is to set him free time-wise 
to be able to do expository preaching and teaching. That means that he may have to block out his mornings like I do and not take phone calls and not take appointments and not do any type of visitation in the morning hours in order to dive into the text. That's just a practice I do. Um, I work Monday through Friday. I take Friday afternoons off. Um, And so really Saturday is my only day off. But Monday through Friday, Basically, Friday mornings, I am in the text. I am in prayer. I don't take phone calls unless it's an emergency, like my wife needs something or even maybe an elder needs something. But uh, my ministry assistants, my secretaries know that I'm doing sermon prep. I am doing preparation. I'm in prayer. I'm I'm in study. And so you need to allow your pastor to have the time to be able to devote himself to prayer and ministry of the word. That's the best way he can lead. Now, 1 Timothy 5.17 stands as the foundational passage, I believe, that explicitly combines the role of leading by preaching. Now, there's a lot of other passages we're going to look at in this podcast, but I think this one passage explicitly links those two together in a very powerful statement by Paul. So what does 1 Timothy 5.17 say? Paul writes, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, I'm not really fond of the ESV's translation there of ruling well. Um, I think that that tends to lend itself a little bit more to a Presbyterian model of ruling elders and teaching elders. And that's a discussion that we're not going to get into right now, but there has been a historical debate over this particular passage of Scripture of how Baptists take it and how Presbyterians take it as far as a function between elders. But what it does say is that it links these two things together. Leading well. Okay, there's the leadership piece. And how do they lead well? They labor in preaching and teaching. There's the expository word-based ministry piece. Both of those things are together in this particular passage of Scripture. And so when you think about what role the pastor has, he has to be able to lead well and to do this by laboring in preaching and teaching. So, lead well, lead diligently. What does that really mean? How are these two things intrinsically linked? Can a pastor just preach and teach and not really lead well? He's a good preacher, but he's not a good leader. Conversely, can you lead well without teaching and preaching? Well, he's a dynamic leader, but he really can't preach. Here's my thesis. Here's my argument. Here's my point. Pastors cannot successfully lead without the primacy of expository preaching. I believe it cannot be done. Now, I'm going to give a quote by John Maxwell. I'm not a huge fan of John Maxwell. I think he's more of the managerial, the seeker-sensitive, more pragmatic approach to leadership. He's a godly man. I'm not denying that. I just don't read a lot of his books. But he does have a good quote. This is from Preaching Magazine in an interview that he had on leadership. And this is what John Maxwell says. He says, quote, You can be a good preacher and not a good leader, but you cannot be a good leader without being a good preacher. 
And I agree with that. So how does Paul define leading well? So we're going to look at these two overarching issues. Number one, what does it mean to lead well? That's piece number one, principal function of a pastor, leading well. Piece number two, laboring and preaching and teaching ministry. So we're going to look at these two big, big ticket items. But let's first look at what does it mean to lead well? First, Thess- first Timothy 5, 17, the elders who lead well. The word lead there. Prohistemi, two words together, prohistemi. Stemi really means to stand, pro before. Really what this means, if you look at the, just the etymology of the word, it means to stand before the people. Now you can look at this literally as in you stand before your people in the pulpit week by week in a teaching and preaching ministry. So physically, you're standing before the people, but also, in a, in a way, symbolically, you are standing before the people in the sense that you're out front. You're leading. You're blazing a trail. You're moving forward. You're the shepherd leading the flock. You are leading the church in God's direction. So this word really has two shades of meaning. It really means leading, presiding, exercising oversight, That the words that we would normally think about with leading, but also this word, when you look at the context of how it's used, and we'll look at that in just a moment, it really means to also lead with care, with concern, with compassion, with a shepherd's heart. It really means servant leadership. We're not just an example to the flock but we go ahead of the church. We help chart the course for the future. We humbly lead the charge to help the church understand God's mission for the church, which is ultimately the Great Commission. Now, Paul uses this specific word, prohistemi, leading, in three other places in the New Testament, and all of them deal with pastoral ministry. So let's look at how Paul uses this term leading. And just a side note, in 1 Timothy 5.17, he says, let the elders who lead well, there's that description there, lead well, which means that there can actually be poor leadership. There can be leading not well. There can be leading negatively. There can be poor leadership. And so what Paul is really arguing here for is effective, godly leadership That is a shepherd-servant type of leadership. So let's look at the three other places in the New Testament where Paul specifically uses this same Greek word to describe pastoral leading. The first is Romans 12, 6-8. Now in this little section in Romans, Paul is giving a list of spiritual gifts. And Romans 12, 6-8 Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let's use our spiritual gifts. And then he lists them. And then he says, the one who leads with zeal. Okay? He combines the gift of leadership with zeal, diligence, passion, earnestness, intensity. In other words, pastoral leadership should not be lifeless, perfunctory, uninspiring. 
It's just a job I've got to do. I really don't have a passion about it. I'm really not that focused with, with leading. I'm more maintaining. I'm more a caretaker. I'm just there to show up and kind of do my thing. No, that's not what Paul's saying. If you are leading, you lead with zeal. Now, remember what he said in 1 Timothy 5, 17, lead well. Here in Romans, he says, lead with passion, lead with zeal. So when you combine these two words together, and again, it's the same Greek word for leading, you combine these two elements, it means that pastors lead their people effectively when they have a passionate, godly ambition and inspirational humility. It's crucial for the life of the church for a pastor to have zealous, passionate leadership. And that doesn't mean that you have to be guns blazing personality where you're just the life of the party. This is not a personality driven issue, but it does mean that we take leadership seriously. We are gifted in leadership and pastors lead with zeal. We lead with passion. We lead with strategy. We lead well. We we don't want to be haphazard in our leadership. We want to give God our best. And so Paul here is telling us lead well. Lead with zeal, okay? Now let's look at the second place. He uses the same Greek word, prohistemi, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. There's the Greek word, over you in the Lord. It's how the ESV translates it. Leading, leading you in the Lord, over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Here in 1 Thessalonians, the ESV translates it that these leaders are over the congregation in the Lord. They are standing before as leaders. It's, it's the same Greek word. It was often meaning to protect, to preside, to govern, to care. And what's Paul telling the church? He's saying, listen, Thessalonian church, you need to respect, you need to submit to, you need to esteem these pastors, these elders who are leading you, who are shepherding you, who are standing before you. And, and they admonish you. They, they may correct you at times. You know, really, that's what a pastor does. He, he corrects at times, he teaches at times, he trains, he rebukes. All of his ministry is geared towards equipping the saints for works of ministry. So we've seen Romans lead with zeal. We've seen 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 lead in such a way that the church submits and respects your leadership. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul continues to give the qualifications for a pastor and we will see that he uses this same Greek word. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, two words that Paul uses there, manage and care, two Greek words. Now, the ESV translates manage, like manage his household. They, that's the same Greek word, prohistemi. He must lead. He must shepherd. He must preside over. He must govern. He must 
um, stand before his own family. And then Paul uses another term there. He must care. And it's a really rare Greek word there that Paul says, caring for God's church. The only other time that that rare Greek word for caring is used in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 10 with the story of the Good Samaritan. When the Good Samaritan brought the beaten man to the inn, the text says he brought him there to take care of him. Same Greek word that that Paul uses here to take care of the church. And so you, you see this significant parallel that shows that pastors like the Good Samaritan, concretely and in demonstrable ways, care for the church. And how do they care for the church? They do that through managing or leading the church. And Paul's argument is simple. If a pastor can't care for and cannot manage and cannot lead and cannot shepherd his own household, if he can't disciple and train and teach and lead his, his family then how in the world is he going to be able to translate that and and manage and lead and disciple an entire flock? It's impossible, Paul's saying. He's got to be able to do the small little flock that he has in his home. He's got to be able to be faithful there before he can actually lead a larger group of people. But again, Paul uses the term leaning, managing, caring. Tom Schreiner gives a good comment on this. He's a professor of New Testament at Southern Seminary. Uh, where I got my doctorate, very probably one of the, the best living New Testament scholars. He says there's to be a compassion, a tenderness, a deep love that informs the leading of the church. Just as a father may have to make tough and unpopular decisions, so overseers need to lead and guide the church, even if the course taken is not always popular. Of course, such leadership must be grounded in the scriptures, not the selfish will of the pastor. Great quote. Okay? So, when you look at all Paul's usages of this particular Greek word for leading, prohistemi, that we've seen, it clearly conveys this overall idea that a pastor stands before the people in order to lead, guide, and care for them with godly zeal and humble passion. So we're still under this big topic of leading well. And I've just shown you where those, that particular Greek word shows up in the New Testament. But there's also other descriptions of leadership in the New Testament that are tied to pastoral leadership. Acts 20, in Paul's farewell sermon to the Ephesian elders, in Hebrews 13, 17, and in 1 Peter chapter 5. Different Greek words used here, but conveying this whole idea of leading well. And so let's continue to see a biblical case for what it means for a pastor to lead well. Acts 20, 27-32. Luke records for us Paul's only sermon to a group of believers. And interestingly, it was to the plurality of elders in Ephesus. And Paul is encouraging them to preach the whole counsel of God's word, to shepherd the church after he leaves, uh, to, to build the church up through an expository ministry. And then in Acts 20, 27-28, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, it's interesting that in this sermon, in this section in Acts, Acts 20, Luke records for us Paul's words. 
And Paul uses three interchangeable terms to describe the one office of the pastor. Now, remember earlier I said pastor, overseer, elder, shepherd, pastor, teacher. I believe it's all the one office. But in this particular passage of Scripture, he uses all three. In Acts 20.17, he initially addresses them as the elders. That's the Greek word presbyteros, elders. But then he says that they are overseers. Another Greek word, episkopos. So elders, overseers. And then he says, you are charged to shepherd or care for the church. Poimeno. That's where we get the word shepherd. It's a verb there, to shepherd, to pastor. So Paul's usage of all three terms interchangeably really gives us strong evidence that he's talking about, and the New Testament is really talking about the one office of the pastor-teacher. And really what Paul's saying here is is really how pastors are to lead. When when he's charging the elders, he's saying, listen, elders, I'm leaving. I've been in Ephesus for, for these years. Now I'm going on. You're left back here to pastor the church. How are you to do it? Well, first of all, he says, the Holy, remember, the Holy Spirit has specifically called you and empowered you supernaturally to be the elders. The Holy Spirit made them, appointed them as overseers. It's a spiritual calling of God on the life of a pastor. There's no such thing as a self-appointed pastor. I get a little nervous when some younger men come to me and says, I think God's calling me to the ministry. And it's an exciting thing. But you also have to realize that there's a lot involved in being called to ministry. There has to be the internal calling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the man. And there has to be the external evidence through the life of the church seeing the giftings of that man. And so we don't appoint ourselves as pastors. Paul says the Holy Spirit made us pastors. Charles Spurgeon warns young pastors in his lectures to my students. He says this, It is a fearful calamity to a man to miss his calling and to the church upon whom he imposes himself. His mistake involves an affliction of the most grievous kind. So first Paul says, Listen, guys, the Holy Spirit's made you these leaders, these shepherds. But you need to keep watch over the flock. Keep watch. Great concern. You need to have great concern over the well-being of your congregation. Guard your congregation from wolves, from poisonous seeds of disunity because fierce wolves are going to come in after and they're going to try to tear, tear apart the flock. He says they're to keep diligent watch as shepherds. Now, remember in Ephesians 4.11, the pastor-teacher That is the noun form, the pastor, poimain. But here in Acts, Paul uses it as a verb. In other words, it's a verb to pastor, to shepherd, to care for, to to, to pastor, to shepherd. John MacArthur says this, A shepherd who fails to feed his flock will not have a flock for long. His sheep will wander off to other fields and die of starvation. Above all, God requires of His spiritual shepherds that they feed 
their flocks. Great word from Dr. MacArthur. Now, in Hebrews 13, 17, it's the next passage of Scripture we're going to look at that talks about pastoral leadership. The writer of Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The key word here is for a pastor to keep watch. To keep watch. It means to go sleepless. It means to to be alert, to be diligent, to be watchful, to look out to those that are prone to spiritual laziness, to, to go after the strays, to protect the flock, to shepherd them, to go sleepless, to be alert. And the congregation here, the responsibility of the congregation is to obey or submit to their leadership. Now, this is not blind allegiance. You are not to blindly follow pastors, especially if they're in sin or if they are abusive or if they're teaching false doctrine. You see, we have to be very careful. As pastors, our authority is a derived authority, which means that the only authority I have is if I am accurately handling the text and living a life of integrity. The congregation is to respect and submit to the leadership of the pastor so far as he faithfully preaches the word and faithfully lives a holy life. When a pastor deviates from that, then there's cause for concern and you can address those issues. But the real sobering thing about this passage of Scripture is that as pastors, we are going to have to give an account on the day of judgment of how we watched over the souls. These souls have been entrusted to us. And that's why... I get a little nervous when pastors want really, really large churches. I'm scared to death. I mean, our church right now is about 300. And it's hard enough to keep track of everybody. The the guests that come every week, the people that you don't see, um, members that are straying, uh, church discipline issues, discipleship, children, youth, uh, everybody in the church. It's hard enough right now with myself and the elders that we have to keep watch over the souls that God has entrusted to us. I can't imagine what a church of three or 4,000 would be. Take that seriously, pastor. God has entrusted you with the flock and you're accountable to how you have kept watch over that flock. Now, our next passage of Scripture is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 3. Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Now, Peter in this passage of Scripture uses two Greek words to express pastoral leadership, shepherd the flock, poimeno, the verb form of that shepherding, shepherd, pastor, care for. Then he says, exercising oversight, episcopeo, where we get the word episkopos, overseeing, leading. So he's got the, the pastor piece, the shepherd piece, the leading piece. And so when you think about 
what Peter does here and what we just saw with Paul, the interchangeable use of all these different words together, we're really talking about the one office. I think John MacArthur succinctly just nails it down as far as all the interchangeable uses of all these terms. Here's what John MacArthur says. There are three New Testament terms used interchangeably to refer to these men, pastors, leaders. Elder, okay, presbyteroi, that's, that's the one. Overseer, episkopos, that's number two. And pastor, poimen, that's number three. Okay, those are the three terms we've been looking at. And then John MacArthur gives a very helpful distinguishing uh, factor between the three, the nuances between these three. It's still one office, but the nuances. He says, elder emphasizes the man's spiritual maturity necessary for such ministry. Number two, overseer states the general responsibility of guardianship. Three, pastor is the word shepherd and expresses the priority duty of feeding or teaching the truth of God's word. Now, that's a, that's a great description of those three terms used interchangeably. And so when you think about leading well, the idea is that we are to shepherd. Shepherd. Think about cattlemen for a moment. Uh, out here in northeastern Colorado, we have a lot of ranches with farmers who have cattle. And I've asked them, how do you move cattle? Well, you prod and you drive cattle from behind. But that's not what a pastor does. You're you're, you're not behind the sheep, prodding them and driving them from behind. No. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd is out front. Remember that word proestemi? He's out front. He's in front of the flock. He's leading from in front. The congregation is following him. What's the congregation doing? They're listening to his preaching. They're watching his lifestyle. You know, a pastor, first and foremost, is a shepherd. He's not a CEO. He's not a business administrator. He's not a program director. Unfortunately, when you read the the material that's out today about what a pastor is, or when you look at even job descriptions for, for pastors, we want a visionary, entrepreneurial leader who can cast vision and can engage culture and can lead our church to grow. I will tell you a story. When I was um, a youth pastor and I was praying about moving on to become a senior pastor or a lead pastor, um, I, I put my resume in at some different churches. And, and one of the churches in, in pastor search things, they usually send you back a, uh, a questionnaire where you fill out. And usually the questionnaires are kind of weird at times. You can tell a lot about a church based upon their questionnaire. Um, do they focus more on doctrine or do they focus more on, on pragmatic issues? And so um, I knew this was probably not going to be a good fit when I got their questionnaire because here's the first question. On, out of all the questions you could think would be the first question, nothing about what's your doctrine of the Trinity, what's the gospel, what do you believe about inerrancy of Scripture, uh, what do you believe about um, you know, eternal security. So some big issues. Here's the first question they asked on this questionnaire. And I'll, this is verbatim. What are you going to do to grow our church? What are you going to do to grow our church? Well, 
I, I don't know what their answer would have been. I don't know what they were looking for. But you could see that, that pragmatic, desperate, we're hiring you to grow our church. And so a shepherd knows the sheep. A shepherd cares for the sheep. He loves the sheep. He corrects the sheep. He leads the sheep. And he doesn't do this through pragmatic fads. He doesn't do this through the allure of charismatic personality or through slick man-centered techniques, but through a faithful expository preaching ministry where you feed the flock. Now, that's the first primary responsibility of a pastor. Leading well. Leading, shepherding, guarding, going before, overseeing. All the different things you can think of that we've just looked at biblically. Leading. Now, the second big ticket item, the second principal function of a pastor is to do that leading through a word based expository ministry. 1 Timothy 5.17, our key text. Let the elders who rule well be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching. Uh, These two words together can be basically a, a shorthand for ministering the word. And notice that Paul talks about it being hard work. Those who labor in preaching and teaching. It really means to work to the point of exhaustion. I mean, when you truly do expository preaching, there are times when you have the text open and you're translating and you're looking at the commentaries and you're praying through what it means and and there's blood, sweat, and tears involved in that. It's a a rigorous process of trying to determine the, the historical grammatical meaning, the exegesis of the passage. And then once you figure out what the passage actually means, then you've got to figure out how you're going to put it together in a sermon. How are you going to preach it in such a way that it connects with the modern audience without watering down what the text says? So it's a rigorous process. It's exhausting. That's why Paul calls it a labor. Now, I don't know if this is empirically true or if it's been proved out, but this is what R.C. Sproul has said. R.C. Sproul said, quote, Though preachers differ in the expenditure of energy given in a sermon, it has been estimated that a half-hour sermon can use as much physical energy as eight hours of manual labor. Now, I don't know if that's true, but... I, I, I believe it. There's times when you come home after preaching and all you want to do is just you just want to collapse. It's a labor. Now, Paul uses two words here, preaching and teaching. Now, in the original text there in 1 Timothy 5.17, the ESV translates it as preaching, but the original word is logos, the word. He ministers in the word and teaching. Now, I think they're linked together. Um, but they're they're mentioned as two separate words, preaching and teaching. So is there a difference between preaching and teaching? Yes, they're intrinsically linked, but I do think there is a difference in their function. This is my personal opinion, but I think that because they're they're two different words, not just one, and and the way that the different Greek words are used... um, especially when keruso is used for preaching, which means to proclaim. Uh, Let me give you the nuanced difference I I see between preaching and teaching. Preaching, I believe, is more focused on 
motivating, encouraging, boldly proclaiming the truth to aim for gospel transformation in the heart and the will of the listener, to move them in their hearts and their wills. Teaching, on the other hand, I think focuses more on the mind, the intellect, training in theology, training in uh, biblical truths. Uh, Preaching is more encouraging, challenging people, Teaching stress is more of an emphasis on making sure people are taught the scriptures. And so I think a pastor, you're constantly doing both of these. If you are doing expository ministry well, you are doing both of these all the time. There are times when you're going to preach like a herald, aiming at the will, calling people to surrender, calling people to faith. There's other times where you're going to be explaining the text, aiming for the mind. Most effective expository sermons combine both these two elements together. You're going to inform, you're going to train, but you're also going to inspire, you're going to encourage, and you're going to challenge people to respond to God's Word in a preaching and teaching ministry. So that's the the, the second big-ticket item, laboring in preaching and teaching, a Word-based expository ministry. Now, there are some other places where Paul specifically addresses this function, a expository preaching and teaching ministry. 1 Timothy 4.13 is the first one we're going to look at. He gives a threefold command of really what should um, govern the life of the church in public worship. As a pastor, you're responsible for these three things in the public gathering of the worship service. 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, number one, to exhortation, number two, to teaching, number three. So number one, the public reading of Scripture. Number two, the ESV translates it exhortation, which is literally, but most translations also use the word preaching. And then number three, teaching. Now, first of all, the public reading of Scripture. This was really a practice that came from the temple and the synagogue worship. Remember, um, our worship as Christians came from the Jewish worship. If you go back and look at the synagogue worship, and you can see this really modeled in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus goes back and preaches at the synagogue, and you do study on what was happening in the synagogue, they would have public reading of Scripture, they would have recitation of Psalms, they would have prayers, they would have giving of offerings, and then there would be another public reading probably from the prophets, And then the rabbi would take the scroll, read the scripture, and then he would give an expository sermon explaining the scripture and challenging the people to obey. And so this public reading of scripture really is inherited from the synagogue. And it's important because if your church does not have the public reading of scripture, what what message are you sending if you don't have the public reading of scripture? You're basically saying that the word of God doesn't govern what we do. We don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. When you do have the public reading of Scripture before the sermon, what you're doing is you're setting the tone for the entire worship service. You're basically saying to the entire congregation, we are gathered under the authority of the Word. That's why at Emmanuel, one of the very first things we do is we all stand and we have the public reading of Scripture to start our service so that we all bow under the authority of the word. We come into the place knowing that we are here to hear, to read, to preach, to sing the word of God, the public reading of scripture, before we even ever get to the sermon. Now, the second thing Paul says is that Timothy needs to engage in exhortation, para 
ekklesis. And some modern translations render that word preaching. I think it's a good term. It really involves exhorting, encouraging the congregation through systematic exposition. Again, it's this whole difference between preaching and teaching. Again, Paul here uses two different terms. The preaching aspect is more of the the exhortation, the challenging, the proclamation, um, urging people to obedience, uh, faithfully exegeting, explaining, and applying the text in a bold proclamation. That's the exhortation. But then the third thing Paul says is teaching. So, So again, we see a difference. There's preaching and there's teaching. And again, The slight difference is that that preaching, again, aims for the will, for the heart. Teaching aims for the mind. And so you have these three things, the public reading of Scripture, preaching, and teaching. And so that's your primary job as a pastor. How do you lead well? You're going to lead well when you focus on proclamation, on preaching, on teaching, on the public reading of Scriptures. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 2, is another passage of Scripture that gives an instruction for us as pastors on what we're to be doing. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. That's a strong Greek word, keruso, proclaim, herald, like a town crier that goes out and announces news boldly. You're going on the authority of the king. So it's the bold proclamation of the word, the word. Now, Contextually, we don't have to guess what the word is. In just the earlier chapter, in in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just a few verses before Paul does this, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-breathed. So we are to faithfully, expositionally, boldly proclaim, preach, teach the God-breathed Scriptures. Now, how many times do we see pastors in today's world being tempted to rely on other means or other sources besides the sufficiency of Scripture to lead the church? I mean, Paul here, this is my argument. We lead effectively by expository preaching. So if you're not doing expository preaching, if you're not preaching the Word, if you are not saturating your congregation in the Word, you're not leading. You may think you're leading. You may be leading them in pragmatism. You may be leading them in some type of um, cultural analysis. You may be leading them in in, in some type of uh, of civic activity. Who knows what you're leading them to do? But if the Word is not front and central, the God-breathed Scriptures, you're not leading well. I mean, think about what you hear all the time. Sometimes pastors preach personal opinion. They're going to start with a passage of Scripture, maybe from some weird translation, and the rest of the sermon has nothing to do with anything. It's just personal opinion. Or the sermon is trite stories about their life, story after story after story. Or maybe it sounds more like a political rally. There's just political speech after political speech. Or maybe the sermon sounds more like a motivational talk. Or maybe it's a fireside chat 
a casual conversation. It's one of my pet peeves when a pastor gets up and the first thing he says is, I want to share my heart. And I'm about to say under my breath, I don't care (laughs) about your heart. You're standing before God's people. You've come to share the word, preach the word. Unfortunately, some of the main diets of many evangelical pulpits is what I just said. Is your pastor proclaiming with clarity, with boldness, the God-breathed scriptures? Is he explaining the text? Is he applying the text? Is he properly exegeting the text? And then is he exhorting you to obedience to Jesus? Listen, a pastor does not just serve as a caretaker. You're not there just to maintain a ministry. I'm just here to maintain. If we could just maintain what we're doing. A pastor is not a passive tour guide. I'm just here to kind of dispense some tidbits of theological knowledge. You know, church members, you're tourists and we're all on this journey together. Let me give you some self-help advice so that you'd be happy. He's not a domineering CEO who bowels at the altar of pragmatism to make sure that the shareholders, i.e. the church members, are comfortable and keep coming back. He doesn't cower in fear to tickle ears and fear that people are going to go somewhere else because they get offended. A pastor doesn't hurriedly download sermons from the internet on Saturday night because he was too lazy to spend time in the sacred text. That's not good leadership. That's not pastoral leadership. What does a pastor do? He ministers the word. He leads well with passion and with zeal. He labors in expository preaching. His preaching is a means to equip and mature people. He preaches with boldness, with readiness. He makes prayer and ministry of the word his highest priority. The shepherd leader is never haphazard, but always intentional. Preach the word. Titus 1.9 is another passage of scripture that talks about the pastor's role in preaching and teaching. If you remember the background of Titus, Paul has charged Titus to go back to Crete and appoint elders. In Titus 1.9, he's giving a list of, of qualifications and duties of elders. And so Titus 1.9 reads, He, that's the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He needs to be able to give instruction. He needs to be able to teach, preach, persuade. He needs to rebuke, refute false teachers. I love what John Calvin says about this passage of Scripture. Great quote. Here's John Calvin. A pastor needs two voices, one for gathering the sheep, the other for driving away wolves and thieves. Great quote, John Calvin. You need to have two voices as a pastor. You've got to have that shepherd, gentle, fatherly, caring voice where you minister to your congregation. You faithfully teach them the word. You shepherd them. You love them. But you've also got to have that voice of rebuke, that voice of correction where the wolves are coming in and you've got to protect the flock. And you not be able to teach sound doctrine. So when you think about these two overarching 
functions or responsibilities of a pastor. Number one, do you lead well? Number two, do you labor in teaching and preaching? Martin Lloyd-Jones describes this overall role of the pastor. Lloyd-Jones says, The office of pastor is generally concerned about government and instruction and rule and direction. The shepherd shepherds his flock, keeps the sheep in order, directs them where to go and where to feed, brings them back to the fold, looks after their safety, and guards them against enemies liable to attack them. A pastor is a man who's given charge of souls. He is the guardian, the custodian, the protector, organizer, the director, the ruler of the flock. As teacher, he gives instruction and doctrine in truth. Let me close by giving a quote from John Calvin again. And he really sums up the, the, the weightiness of this call to be a pastor. Listen to John Calvin. He says, It is no light matter, it's no light matter, to be a representative of the Son of God. In discharging an office of such magnitude, the object of which is to erect and extend the kingdom of God, to procure the salvation of souls with which the Lord Himself hath purchased with His own blood, and to govern the church, which is God's inheritance. He says it's no light matter. It's no light matter. So I pray, if you're a pastor or a seminary student or feeling called to ministry as you listen to this, that you do not take it as a light matter. That you're not tempted to give in to the pragmatic models, the CEO business models, the marketing managerial models that you see all around you. Now, there's a time and place for some of those things that are sometimes helpful, but my fear is that people run to those and don't spend time in the biblical text to derive what we're actually called to do. And what we're saying is we don't believe in the sufficiency of the Scriptures to dictate to us what our job description is. So I challenge you, Pastor, spend some time in these texts. Ponder these texts. Meditate these texts. Study these texts in detail. Spend some time looking at what the Scripture is calling you to do as a pastor. If you're listening to this podcast and you're not a pastor, I pray that you encourage your pastor. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your elders. Pray for those who are in spiritual leadership over you. Pray that they would lead well. Pray that they would labor in preaching and teaching. Pray that they would be sensitive to the needs of the flock and surrender themselves and submit themselves fully to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, the senior pastor of the church. Well, I thank you for listening to this podcast today. And I really hope you've been encouraged by it. If you're listening to this and you're struggling as a pastor or maybe you just have questions and you need some encouragement, I would love for you to contact me. You can go to seancole.net and find my contact information. I would love to encourage you, pray with you, uh, be a resource to you. Um, I'm in the trenches with you as a pastor. I, I do expository preaching week by week. I, I you know, go, did just a funeral last week, got vacation Bible school next week, uh, going on a mission trip to India in a few weeks, uh, you know, dealing with all the different things in the life of a church. I, I'm right there with you, and I'd love to give you some encouragement. And so I pray that this has been a helpful podcast on what the Bible truly says about pastoral leadership. May God bless you. 
May God keep you. May God cause His face to shine upon you. And until next time, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. Thank you.